This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show, 739. So a property manager is somebody who does the day-to-day stuff. An asset manager is big picture, set the direction. So think of like a cruise ship. Have you ever been on a cruise? There's the, the, there's the activities director. And that's the person that works like 18 hours a day. They're running around, they're making shows, making sure the shows are on time and dinner starts on time and the right number of chairs on the deck and all that little minutia that is important to making for a good cruise. The asset manager is the captain of the ship. What's going on, everyone? This is David Green, your host of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast, the biggest, the best, the baddest real estate investing podcast on the planet here today with a treat for you. I've got two of my good friends and studly multifamily investors, Matt Faircloth and Andrew Cushman here to talk asset management and property management and operations and a bunch of stuff that will make you money if you get into this space and more importantly, help you not lose money if you get into this space in the future. Today is fantastic. We get into two really, really important points. Forming your money-making team and then learning how to communicate with them and train them to communicate with you so that you can scale and build a profitable business, not buying an asset that makes you want to pull your hair out of your head and end up like me. We get into actual stories that these two have experienced as they've managed multifamily assets for years now so that you can learn from their mistakes and avoid your own as well as find the pieces that are most likely to help take you to the next level. Look, it's no surprise that the economy is shifting. We're heading into a recession and it's getting harder and harder to make real estate work. Now, more than ever, it's important to understand how to actually operate the asset that you've been being told for years you need to go buy. Some of the things that you're going to learn if you listen today is where to find staff that will help you, what to look for, questions to ask property managers, what to look for in a property manager before you hire them, the difference between an asset manager and a property manager, and what maintenance supervisors can do that can increase the NOI of your property and actually make it more profitable. That and more on today's show. You don't want to miss it. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right, get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. 
With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. What's better than low money down? No money down. Now through Rent to Retirement, you can buy a brand new construction turnkey rental property for no money down. Wait, hold on. This can't be right. I need to double check with Zach, Rental Retirement CEO. Oh, hey, Rob. Zach, how the heck are you selling turnkey rental properties for $0 down? <laughs> it's not that complicated, Rob. Rent to Retirement has new construction properties up to $20,000 below retail prices. We also have investor loans with rates as low as 3.99% and down payment options as low as 5% or sometimes even zero money down. You get all the cash flow, appreciation, and equity for as little as zero money down. That's an infinite return. Oh, wait, wait. Let me get on this before we tell it to the whole Bigger Pockets audience. Just head to renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com or text REI to 33777. That's REI to 33777 to learn more about how you can get started investing with no money down today. Get your next new construction property at a steep discount or invest with no money down. Head to rentoretirement.com today. Before we get into the interview, today's quick tip is check the show notes. We've got a list for you, 27 questions to ask a property manager before hiring them that comes directly from Matt and Andrew's experience doing this themselves. That is free for you. Thank you for listening. We love you. All right, let's get into today's show. Andrew, Matt, welcome back to the Bigger Pockets podcast live for us, but not for the audience, from Lake Tahoe at our uh, winter retreat in GoBundance. Today, we're going to be talking multifamily, but more specifically, operation of multifamily. So let's start off for people that don't know the difference between a property manager and an asset manager. How would you describe that, Andrew? So a property manager is somebody who does the day-to-day stuff. An asset manager is big picture, set the direction. So think of like a cruise ship. If you've ever been on a cruise, there's the, the, there's the activities director. And that's the person that works like 18 hours a day. They're running around, they're making, show, making sure the shows are on time and dinner starts on time and the right number of chairs on the deck and all that little minutia that is important to making for a good cruise. The asset manager is the captain of the ship. And he's saying, all right, uh, we got a storm coming in. We're gonna shift a little, we're gonna shift a hundred miles to the right, go around the backside of the island. We need to make sure we get to this port in seven days. I need, you know, he's going. He's looking big picture, making sure that's going to happen. That's kind of the difference between property management and asset management, and it's not a perfectly clear cut delineation, especially if you're doing smaller stuff like fourplexes and ten units. It is kind of a, a more of a spectrum, um, and if you're self managing and you're just starting out with your first fourplex, you're doing both jobs. Um, but as you scale and grow the difference becomes more and more important. And as an investor looking to create wealth, you're really gonna wanna focus on that asset management side. That's where the, the real money is made. So do you feel most investors are the asset managers themselves or is there a size of complex where you are actually gonna leverage out asset management as well as property management? Most, I'd say most investors are the asset managers themselves. Um, and then once, you know, for example, yeah, I was my own asset manager until about a thousand units, and then once we got into you know over two thousand units, I started bringing on an asset management team to help with that because it becomes a full time job. Even even if you're not involved in the day to day property management, just managing if you've got ten fourplexes scattered around town, 
even if you have an admin person to help with collections and filing evictions and all that, you still are going to be dealing with the lender. You need to decide, am I going to sell this one in one year? Am I going to sell this one in two years? If I do sell it, what am I going to do with the money? Mm. And so there's a certain point. Yeah, I think, again, I was my own up until 1,000, and I waited way too long. Um, you know, I was, you know, and if I finally graduated, it was like Pinocchio. My business was like Pinocchio. It finally became a real business when I added some people to help me with that stuff. Mm -hmm. I remember that. We were actually I maybe here in Tahoe when we were having that conversation about what it would look like to leverage off some of the work without leveraging off the actual vision casting, which I remember was like, in your head, you saw it as if I hire someone, I'm giving up complete control as opposed to you're still creating the vision, but they're executing on the vision that you've now cast for them. And I got to say, folks, his career has exploded since then. And I'm going to take as much credit as I can. No, you oh, yeah, you deserve some of the credit for that. You, you seriously do. We had a good couple of good long talks and that kind of helped. Well, I certainly benefit from it because we partnered together on property. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say that I'm not eating out of that same trough. I just want to throw one more thing out that Andrew has, uh, you've certainly rubbed off on Andrew a bit because he's now made two analogies in the first five minutes wow. of the podcast. Yeah, and you've made zero so far. So we've got a cruise director analogy and we've also got the uh, Pinocchio, I'm a real boy yes. uh, analogy as well. You jumped up to an early lead. Got some matching up to new <laughs> David Green. So I will gladly keep score on the analogy scoreboard here during this podcast. All right, Matt, I'm going to turn it to you now. Um, God, in the last, you know, several years of real estate, we've seen so much stimulus. We've seen so much people that were getting into the syndication game in particular that had no experience at all. And the rising economy just, it really was this perfume that covered up a lot of stink. We're at the first minute we see a little bit of interest rate rising. It's like, oh my God, like this is what's been going on the whole time, right? The lipstick's coming off the pig in a lot of these cases. What is your perspective on how important operations are compared to just acquisitions, which is where a lot of the attention is. Yeah. I mean, you know, the last 10 years, it's simply been get into the game. You could have bought a multifamily and literally done nothing with it. Let it run into the ground. Uh, let tenants, you know, completely not pay the rent. Let things go willy-nilly. Let the grass grow three feet high and sold it for a ton more than you bought it for. I mean, it really, anybody could have gotten into this game. And guess what? Anybody did. Um, and, and there are lots of folks that are, you know, for 20 grand or whatever, willing to teach you how to invest in real estate or whatever. And a lot of people did pay that kind of money to get into the multifamily game. And so now it's simply been get into the game and get a deal and crush your fingers and you can sell it in a year for a lot more than you paid for it. That's worked up until recently, uh, we, with rising rates and with, uh, you know, you, you can't, the sellers can't just name their prices, uh, when they go to sell properties anymore. And so we're going to get back down to good old fashioned real estate investing, where you're going to have to invest for cash flow and not appreciation. And if you're going to invest for cash flow, if you're going to make an investment into a thing that is going to reward you for its performance, you have to have good asset management on the asset. You can't just cross your fingers and allow the rising tide that's risen for 10 years, right? Let's, let's, you know, let's all high five. That's been great. It's helped everybody out. But that's not the future. Uh, cash flow is going to be king, I think, for the net, for the foreseeable future. And to make that happen, you need asset management. You know, KPIs, business plans. You know, well well run properties. You might not sell a year after you buy it. You know, one thing I I've noticed when you understand the fundamentals of real estate. First off, the whole thing gets so much more simple than when you ask for a blueprint of well, what am I supposed to do? Tell me exactly what to do. If you understand that apartments are like the value of them or commercial property in general is a function of, of two pieces. You've got a cap rate and you've got NOI. And you can't control the cap rate and you can't control the NOI. That's very simple. Now there's things you can't control the cap rate much like you can't control the winds, but there are 
you can look at wind patterns and sort of like chart your course in a direction that will favor you. Yep. But ultimately you can't control that versus NOI, which might be like the guys in the bottom of the boat rowing. I'm trying to catch up on analogies. You're, you're smoking. You're, you're, you're just way, way in. And I got little yeah. bun pigs going on. You got a lot of, a lot of them, a lot of them. So you got two factors that determine <laughs> the value of, an, of a commercial property. Then if you go within NOI, there are two factors that control that. You've got income and you've got expenses. It, it simplifies things. So operations is a lot about just the art of how do I minimize expenses and how do I maximize income? Mm -hmm. It's really that simple. So on that behalf, when we know that's the only part that you can control within multifamily real estate, and it's so important, what's your thoughts, Matt, on if this, and if you should self-manage or if you should leverage something that important to a third party? So I did, when I first got involved in real estate, um, I did not go straight into it. There actually are other things you can invest in besides apartment buildings. And so I uh, got started investing in single families and small multis and worked my way up through that. And there was a point where Liz and I uh, were running 115 units uh, with a small crew ourselves out of Trenton, New Jersey. And so we self-managed for a very long time. And it can be done. Um, it was, in essence, a full-time job for me and a small team uh, to do. It was, But the money that we made doing it, because we charged ourselves a property management fee, was enough to keep our lights on and keep our family fed and, and, uh, and you know, live a, a fairly good lifestyle. But um, there was a fulcrum that it, it there was a, like a decision point where we were buying a 49 unit that was not in Trenton. It was a good bit away from there. So it would have forced me to have to start up a new PM company in a new market. And that's what I wanted to do. But my wife, who normally has the better idea than I do, uh, said, you know, let's try hiring a new PM uh, to run this. And we did. And they did a phenomenal job. Um, I still believe we probably would have done better, but they did good enough to keep the asset running and with good asset management tactics. Uh, the property did very, very well. And that enabled me to, to scale. But so I think in the beginning for those listening to this that don't have two, three, 400 units of, uh, maybe have a duplex, right? If you have a duplex and you want to eventually do this real estate investing business full time, managing yourself, it could be a lucrative enough business to feed your family, keep your lights on for now. Um, and it'll also really help you develop the parameters of management because I learned the ins and outs of management um, in doing it myself. Uh, and eventually I ended up giving it up to another party, but it taught me a ton and it also fed me very well while I did it. All right, Andrew, throw into you, in your perspective, what are some of the pros and cons of each option? Yeah, Matt mentioned some of the pros. One is if you do it, scale it well enough, it can become another income stream, right? So mm -hmm. it can be a balancing factor, a stabilizing factor. Uh, another another thing that's often listed as a pro is that you have more control. And that is true. But the assumption there is that control and, and also that you care about your property more than anybody, right? So the assumption there is, well, if I have control and I care about it more than anybody, then I'm going to do a really good job. Well, caring doesn't equal competence. If my wife needs surgery for something, I'm not going to walk into the OR and be like, hey, doc, you know what? I care about her more than you. Let me take this. Yeah. No, I, I want the best. I He could hate my guts, but if he's really good at that surgery and he's going to do it right, I want him to do that surgery. So that's kind of a myth of caring equals competence, and it doesn't. Um, but if you have the skills to go along with it, then yeah, that's a really good combination. Uh, on the flip side, some of the cons, property management is one of the most high headache businesses. Mm -hmm. now. You're basically running a giant HR firm. Yeah. Like All you do all day long is deal with people problems. 
and payroll and then delinquent tenants and evictions and courts and all that. And it doesn't pay that well. It's a very low margin, high stress business. And uh, it can it can be really draining. The people I know it uh, that I know that do it, you know, definitely say that. Um, and also, that's something to keep in mind. It, property management is a separate business from real estate investing. So you are running two businesses if you decide to do that. Uh, you know, how do you make a decision? You know, we could do an hour long panel on the pros and cons and really dive into that. It depends on what your end goals are, how many units you have. You know, if you've got one fourplex, you're going to learn some stuff from self managing that in the beginning. So I would recommend self manage. Where do you make the transition? That's tough to say. It, it again, it's a spectrum. It's kind of like, if you know, if you're a vegan and you're in, in, into CrossFit, how do you decide which one to talk about first? It, it's going to be different for every person, and and it depends on on the situation. You guys are digging deep on this analogy thing, both you two. I mean, really, you're very competitive. I'm really enjoying as a spectator sport watching the analogy back and forth. All right. So on that note, Matt, when it comes to finding a property management company, if that's yeah. something that you're looking to do, what advice do you have for how to find a great company? Well, well what's interesting is. You could just, you know, look up, look it up on through your friends at Google, uh, you know, just to, you know, Google PM companies in Albuquerque, New Mexico or whatever. But likely if you're buying a property and let's pick Albuquerque because it's a fun name to say as the market that you want to invest in, like you likely got to the property that you're looking at through other leads you have, probably a realtor uh, that you're working with, uh, probably maybe a mortgage broker that's local, maybe an attorney. Uh, maybe other real estate investor friends you have through meeting them on the Bigger Pockets forums, right? So you ask for referrals. You talk to other people that are already active or already live or present in that market, and uh, and then you and you look for you look for for leads, right? Um, you know, and then you're going to want to also find out that you know what do they manage, right? Because if if a property manager tells you that they can manage the strip center that's down the street from your property and they can also manage the you know duplex you're buying in Albuquerque and they can also manage a 100 unit apartment building that's down the street that's the wrong property management company those are those are three very different entities that manage things like that so you want to make sure that their sweet spot their core their you know I'll throw an analogy out the Goldilocks of them right not too hot not too cold just right is the asset that you have, right? You don't want to them to be everything to everyone because property management's not that. There is a level of expertise that they need to bring to the table for the property that you're buying. So Andrew, when you find a company that you think could be good and you're looking to vet them, what are some questions that you'd recommend people ask those companies? Uh, there's, We've got a whole long list of questions um, and we can provide a document with that. We've got like 20 something of them. We can provide a link to that in the show notes. But some of the main ones, and Matt alluded a little bit to this is, you know, what is, what is your, what is their background? Uh, is it a management company that just started two years ago? Uh, and are they a little green and inexperienced or have they been around for decades? And um, the founders, where did they come from? You know, did, were they, you know, ex-engineers? Because you, know, you, you don't want to trust those guys. Mm. Um, yeah. Or, or, you know, for example, the management company that we hired was founded by two executives in a much bigger management company that kind of got fed up with the corporate culture said we could do better they jumped out started their own and have done a really good job so kind of what is the background of the founders matt you touched on this asset and class specialization you don't want to hire a property management company to run your your 10 unit when their focus is self-storage they're not going to have the they're not going to have the knowledge and they're not going to have the efficiencies and they may not even care some management companies will take on assets they shouldn't just Mm -hmm. to get the revenue but they're not gonna they're not gonna do a good job with it. 
And also, if you specialize in C-class properties, don't hire an A-class property management company because they will run your C-class way more expensive than it's able to support. And, and there's very different ways of running those. So it's not just self-storage and multifamily. It's also class. You also want a management company that ideally specializes in your market. There are some good national level property management companies. My preference is regional ones. Um, so for example, you know, the one we use, they only do the Southeast United States. So their footprint matches ours. They've got like 26,000 units. So they're big enough that they have efficiencies of scale, but small enough that I can call the owners of the company on their cell phone if there's a real issue and I need to get somebody. So, you know, I'm asking questions of what was your footprint? Um, how many units do you have? Uh, how many units do they have in your submarket? Right. So if a company has 10,000 units in Dallas and you're giving them a property in Lubbock, but they've never managed in Lubbock, they're not going to be good in Lubbock. Number one, they're not going to take the time to go out there. But two, they don't know the market. It's a very different market. So those are some of the some of the, the, the questions. And then another one that is critical that I think a lot of people don't think to ask is, you, is really feel them out for, you know, what ideally, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Property Management Company, what kind of relationship do you like to have with the owners of the property? Because if they're the type of property management company that wants you to go away and just read your report once a month, that's not going to work. That, that to me is a huge red flag. You want a property management company that sees you as a partner so that you can work together and grow together and build a relationship. And, and that to me is, is one of the biggest keys. Um, and like I said, there's a whole lot more questions beyond that. But when I sit down to interview a property management company, those are some of the things I'm asking multiple questions to find out about. Mm -hmm. Matt, when it comes to hiring team members, so maybe like you were talking about what Andrew did when he started to, to scale so that he could get some of the stuff off of his plate that he was all doing himself. What are some things you've learned over the years? We're going to talk to both of you guys about this. Advice for other people that have some small multifamily or they have some large multifamily. They've been doing everything themselves. They're burning out or they want to scale. They want to go more. They're hearing us talk about, I want to be a real boy. Like a <laughs> real. Can't steal someone else's analogy. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Disqualified analogy reference. Thank you. Sustained. <laughs> Andrew just objected yeah. off to the side. Your honor. Objection. Yeah. Foul. Overused. She foul. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So what are the things that you think people need to look for when they're hiring or be aware of? Well, it's it, the property management and asset management are people businesses. And so people don't work at jobs forever. And so as a property management company and, and as an asset manager as well, you're going to be constantly hiring. I mean, you know, Andrew, you can say both and I, you and I own multifamily properties. It's always, well, this maintenance technician quit or the, 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 this site manager is, you know, found another job or the leasing agent left or whatever. So there's constantly the, the, the effort of replacing seats in, in, on the PM side. Um, and so th there's the conversation of, okay, is this person, if I'm, I'm, if I'm self-managing, you know, maybe you want to hire a new maintenance technician, right? So what do they bring to the table? Um, when I first hired, one of my first hires was a maintenance technician and it was all about, I need somebody with a truck and a lot of tools on it. They can fix a lot of different things yeah. that knows a lot about a different, a lot of different stuff. The jack of all trades with a truck and a lot of the tools they need for those trades in the vehicle. So if you are self-managing, that is maybe something you want to consider. So you're not beholden to um, hiring third-party, you know, contractors every time you want to, like, you know, hiring a 
rotor rooter every time you want to get a plumbing, you, you know, you're just, you're, your toilet backs up. It'd be much better to have your maintenance tech with a plumbing rooting machine that he can do it himself. It'll be a tenth of the cost of what a, a plumber is going to charge. So <clears throat> I think it's about just finding the right person to fit in the role that you've got open, right? So for self-managed, it could be a maintenance technician or somebody that's got bookkeeping background that could be your site manager, your office manager to, you know, collect rents, bill out rents, those kinds of things. Um, and then, I mean, you know, Andrew, I know that that's, that's something that we've talked about before with regards to hiring, you know, asset managers. We've had to do it. I know you've done it too. Um, for team members, for larger companies that are hiring, uh, you know, field reps or asset managers for not property management, but next level, right? Yeah. And I say one of the most common mistakes that I see large and small is somebody hires somebody for property management and then expects them to do asset management, right? If you've got a leasing agent that's running, um, so that, you know, I'll give an example is, is when I, one of the first people that I brought on board was an admin and she started helping with some leasing and, and, you know, dealing with tenants and all that kind of thing. And a lot of times what happens is, is people bring on that person or a leasing agent or even a property manager if you're you know at 100 units or, or whatever that might be, and then say, okay, cool, this person's got it, I'm out. Right. And uh-huh. now what you've done is now you've made that property manager an asset manager, and that is not what you hired them for, and it's probably not their skill set. Um, so number that so that's something to be aware of on on your side, on the investor side. Um, it's a very tempting thing to do. But when hiring team members, what we found is skills and experience are secondary. Number one is attitude and culture and, and, and fit. And when I say cultural fit, it's not only to you and your team, but also to your properties and your residents. So Matt, you were talking about maintenance people. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what everybody does. Okay, I need a guy with a truck. And he's got the tools, and he actually shows up on time. Okay, that that is a plus. Yep. Um, and you know he's been he's been a maintenance guy for thirty seven years, and he's HVAC certified. Great. Yes. I'm gonna hire him. But if he smells like a three day old Subway sandwich that's been left in the car in the summer, mm-hmm. and he's rude to the tenants, right? That's gonna backfire on you because he that that maintenance person actually has more face time with the residents than almost anybody else in many cases, right? Glad you brought that up. Yeah. So you're not just hiring for skills. Skills are important. It's not like chuck it out the window and hire anybody that smiles nice, but you have to have the right attitude and demeanor. Same thing with a leasing person. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to a restaurant and either the um, the concierge or the waiter just was like so friendly and amiable and small. I'm like, I want to hire this person and teach them how to be a leasing agent. Yeah. Because that, I mean, yes, you have to have the right location in your property. You have to have the right amenities. But the number one thing is the 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 feeling. People remember feelings, how, how you make them feel. And so when someone walks in the door and they're greeted by a smile or, you know, maybe if you got a four unit, so this, your leasing person is meeting them at the unit to give them a tour. If that person that you added to your team gives that prospective resident a you know a, a great personal experience and they were helpful and they were smiling and all that, it doesn't matter if they know the difference between uh, pigtailing and aluminum wiring versus you know replacing using Kolar outlets. Like that, that's great, but that's not going to make the big di- biggest difference. 
So whether you're looking for a leasing agent, property manager, maintenance, any of these positions, ex whether again, whether you're hiring directly or you're they're part of third party, number one thing is attitude, culture, and demeanor. You can't teach that stuff. That is in inherent. You can teach skills. And some of our greatest team members that today I just can't imagine living without came to us with zero multifamily experience, but they had an attitude of curiosity, of learning, and of friendliness, and just wanting to serve people. That's something that's very valuable for the listeners who want to get into this space or any space in real estate, really, to understand it. We tend to look at this stuff where I need a mentor. I need someone to teach me what am I supposed to do as if once you have the knowledge, it'll all just fall into place. But the people we know that are successful at this, you two, neither one of you are people who just have information, but your buttholes. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't know hardly anyone who's really, unless they're just like incredibly savvy and they can get away with being a jerk. It's very rare that you see that, right? In general, you don't see successful people that aren't good with other people. Yeah, and so, yeah. so having that ability to make someone feel good, to get people to feel comfortable trusting you, like raising money. I don't think Brandon and I were talking about this when somebody brings an operating agreement to you or a private place of memorandum, and they're like, "Here's the prospective deal." Not only do you not know if it's going to work out like they said, you can't even know if they just made up those numbers. Like, how do we ever go back and verify what they're? Not, you don't have the skill to do that. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't be the LP in the deal. You are trusting the human being, the feeling that they give you. And then if you're smart, the track record that they have. So learning those skills is, it's kind of like the cap rate versus the NOI. Cap rate such, plays such a bigger role in the property's value going up than the NOI. But the NOI is the thing you can control. You can control skills. But if you can get the, the people skills down, it has an astronomically larger impact on the value. Just like if you bought a property at an eight cap, and it compressed to a two cap. It almost doesn't matter what happened with the NOI. It's so much bigger. Yeah. The successful people we see, especially here, get unlucky right there. But yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that doesn't happen. But the way that the math works, that would be more valuable. Yeah. The bottom line is just, you know, don't be a jerk, right? Just people skills and being able to take care of people and address their needs. And, um, you know, like think the big picture is, is really a, like one of the largest assets out there that any business owner can have. So you might think you want real estate. But that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from six, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com slash VP. Connectinvest.com slash VP.
This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Want to dive deep into commercial real estate, entrepreneurship, leadership, and the economy? Tune into the Walker webcast hosted by the CEO of Walker & Dunlop, one of the largest commercial real estate finance and advisory services firms in the nation. As an unparalleled leader in commercial real estate, CEO Willie Walker frequently appears as an expert on major platforms like CNBC and the New York Times. He's even been on the Bigger Pockets podcast network too. On the Walker webcast, you'll hear from guests like A-Rod, renowned economist Dr. Peter Linneman, and experts from Walker and Dunlop's capital markets, research, and investment sales groups. So fire up the Walker webcast on your favorite podcast app or join live on Wednesdays to see Willie interact with his guests. Plus, you can always catch the replay on demand afterward. Stay ahead of the curve with insights for life from the Walker webcast. Learn more and subscribe to the Walker webcast at walkerdunlop.com slash pockets. And be sure to follow Walker and Dunlop on all your favorite social media channels too. That's walkerdunlop.com slash pockets. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. All right, Matt, when it comes to a good property manager, what are some skills that they should have? Um, I, I think that like, uh, you don't want a property manager that you know is always late for your calls. Um, you can use little cues about like, well, I sent my property manager an email uh, and it took them four days to get back to me. And every week I have a Zoom call with them and they show up 15 minutes late. Uh, they're, they're always scattered. So like just all bottoms down, bottom lines are organizational skills, right? You, a property manager is like literally the best juggler out there. They're dealing with, you know, I got collections coming up, you know, I got, you know, rents doing the fifth and I got, you know, this, those three HVAC units stopped working and that tenant would have been to call them back, send me a question. So a property manager needs to be 
in the middle of so many different things and handling like a fairly large to-do list and the two to-do list could be a lot of different things uh, all at once. And so they need to be 100% organized and there are little tests you can use to, to, you know, to figure out how organized somebody is or signs you see for people that are unorganized, right? Um, they need to be as they're one of the best needs for people, persons and warm. Like I, I, I look at like the property managers that I have that are really good at what they do. I've there, the tenants view them as almost like the parent of the apartment complex. It's like your, your apartment building, uh, the, the, this is the, the mom or the dad, uh, that I go to and they, they treat the tenants like they're their children in some ways that, cause they keep them under their wing. They look out for them. They do everything they need when the tenant needs something, they're hundred, but they're right on it. Um, and, uh, and, and that, and I think that like, on top of that, on top of being the, you know, it's like a good parent, you resolve good need, you resolve needs. Oh, your HVAC is not working. That's fine. Well, you also need to be able to be a disciplinarian. Well, you didn't pay your rent this month. And so I'm not going to just allow you, I'll get it. You'll get it back to me next month. You can't be a pushover as well. And they've got to have that, you know, kind of no BS attitude when it comes to being a property manager. This is like a mix. You almost have to be like, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in some ways to kind of be willing to go tough on a tenant and not let them walk on you, but also be likable and respectable to where the tenant is going to respect you and know that you've got their back and they're going to want to stay there for a long time because they know that you're going to take care of their stuff, uh, you know, as it comes up. Yeah. I mean, I could, I, I, when I look at our best property managers, there's, there's like, there's, I'd say like eight distinct traits. Uh, one, uh, good organization skills. And like Matt, like you said, they're handling invoices and payments and checks and evictions and this and never drawing the ball off and right. yeah. And then, and, yeah. And, and requests from their owners and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, you, you know, being very responsive to resident requests, even the ones that are annoying or seem silly or petty, because mm -hmm. it doesn't matter to that resident. It's important. Mm -hmm. And the ability to separate those two things. So you can still be annoyed, just don't let the residents see that, you know, give them the respect. Um, Matt, you touched on this, a balance of heart and no BS. Yeah. You know, empathetic, kind, understanding, but rent is due, just like the mortgage is due and the property taxes are due. Um, you, if one of the, I've seen a lot of investors get into trouble by being um, too empathetic. There's a difference between, well, there's a difference between empathy and sympathy, right? Empathy is I is understanding the person, what their shoes in. Sympathy is more of like, oh, yeah, okay. And like, well, I'm getting involved. Yeah, it's getting involved. And yeah, cause, yeah you, that's better. Yeah. So empathy, sympathy is getting involved. Empathy is more understanding. And sympathy is like, well, all right, it's okay. You know, I understand. You can just make up the rent next month. Guess what happens next month? Oh, you know what? I got a flat tire. Because you feel I'm going to treat you. This is yeah, you're angry. This is why I don't manage anymore. It's treat. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, you've had. The, I'm too nice. Huh? I'm that guy. I but when they told me, well, my tire car got a flat tire, I believe them. Right? Okay, I'll, I'll let you pay me next month, and we'll just you know tack in our next month's rent or whatever. And so, be there are certain people that are cut out to be property managers that are able to approach the world with a hammer in one hand and a hug in the other. You know, and so. They, I, and for me, I always the hug guy, very, very big heart and everything like that, but I'm not one that is very good on the hammer side with tenants and everything like that. So I was, got walked on quite a bit as a, as a, as a property manager. That's so why I don't do it anymore. <laughs> the two of you should team up because you're the hug and he's the hammer. He is. That works out. Right. So, right. So, so, and the, the fourth thing is, is they got to be able to build good rapport with other team members. Yes. Um, whether again, yours or a third party, uh, Ideally, they treat the property like it's theirs. Uh, we've got, I've got some managers that, you know, I, I, 
it's amazing. Like, I swear they they act like they own it more than I do. And it's amazing the difference mm-hmm. that that makes. And and when we, we, we try to recognize and honor and reward that, uh, it's not just, oh, cool, I got this person here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and we encourage that and, and give them more autonomy to do things. Uh, we have a manager that just decided, well, you know, I think that building, side of that building would look better a different color. She went and painted it. And the regional was like, what are you doing? And I was like, no, 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 no. We trust her. And guess what? We, that looks great. Do the rest of the property. Um, now, again, you know, may not everyone is cut out for that kind of autonomy, but someone who like, well, they could still bring it up to you. Exactly. What exactly. If we did this thing and get yeah. permission. And she knew we were, in this specific example, she knew we were okay with her doing that kind of thing because she's so good. But that's, exa- you're exactly right. It's the sense of ownership, like just noticing this would look even better if we painted that, this. I want to do like a 90 day challenge where people who are struggling to get a promotion or make more money or have success, just say for 90 days, treat everything of the person you work for. If you live in a property, treat it like it's your own. If it's your boss and you think if this was my company, what would I want to do? And see if that doesn't absolutely change your life. You know what? You're, you're right. Because we, when we, when we have a resident that like comes out and they pick up the trash around the unit, even if it's not from theirs and you go in their unit and it's sparkling clean and everything's nice and organized, we are definitely more inclined Give them a little bit oh, more yeah. leeway, hundred percent. Just because of it's like it's like yeah. magic. Yeah, make people like you, and you make people trust you. Like you said, the the best point there. When she did, took it upon herself to paint it, we said, "Go ahead and paint the rest of the property." And you immediately thought, "How do I give them more responsibility, more freedom, more autonomy, more all the things we say we want?" Like we all complain about the micromanaging boss, but we don't ask the question of ourselves, like, "Well, what might I be doing that makes them feel like that needs micromanaging?" Yeah, it's always a shift in responsibility onto someone else. Why? That's why. I would encourage people to treat things like it's their own because when you're the person who's, you know, the king, heavy is the head who wears the crown and you're you're worrying about everything, when you see the person willing to carry the burden with you, it automatically opens your heart to where you want to give more. Dave Osborne told a story of how Matt King, who's now the CEO of GoBundance, became his first assistant where Matt said, hey, your wife's coming to visit. Do you want me to go clean up your hotel room before she gets here? Matt could have easily said, it's not my wife. I don't care. But he's like, if my girlfriend was coming, I would want her to coming into a clean hotel room. I'll treat Dave like I would treat myself. And lo and behold, he's now running Dave's empire. I think I think the missed point there is that Matt knew that Dave's room was going to be an absolute mess when his. Isn't that funny? I know. It's <laughs> like, listen, I know your room's a train wreck right yeah. now, and so I'm going to go and help. Right, right, right. Well, that, that, that why was the well, intuition was there. I right? mean, I mean, Krista, she's smart enough to say, "Hey, so this thing was added to your calendar today." She'll send me a text message to say, "Make sure you see this." She knows me. I will not check my calendar. I look at it in the morning, and I see what I have to do, and I'm done. Like that's part of putting yourself in other people's shoes and taking responsibility is thinking like, if I was that person, this is what. I would need. So I think that's really good advice. You have about two or three more, I think. Yeah. Number one, we kind of touched on this really, as someone ideally that's really engaging with residents um, and, and there's the team member. Also somebody in, in this, this is when you're starting to scale up and get a little bit bigger. Somebody that can help guide the team, right? So you get a manager, well, and then, then you add a leasing agent. Now you've got a maintenance supervisor and then you add a maintenance tech or a grounds person or whatever. That property manager is someone who can say, who can have a 10 minute meeting with the maintenance person in the morning, say, all right, here's our work orders. Let's prioritize them, go out, take care of that. And then she checks in, she or he checks in at the end of the day, you know, which ones got done, which one didn't, why, um, you know, hey, leasing agent hits do this, um, and, and can, can coordinate and do all of that. And then finally, somebody that is good at delegating work. Mm. 
Um, because the property manager can fall into the same trap that we as entrepreneurs fall into. Of we're going to do it all ourselves because that's what got us here. Uh-huh. And that's actually something we've had to help some of our property managers grow through is, no, look, you've got a lot of units. Let's get you a leasing agent and delegate this. Or you shouldn't still be you know, doing these invoices day after day after day. This other person should do it. And then you just verify that they did it right. So ideally, it's somebody that can delegate work so that they can grow and hopefully move up high. As you scale, hopefully they can move up and scale with you. Mm-hmm. Now, Matt, we had talked briefly about, you know, Andrew mentioned a leasing agent should be a friendly personality. He'll see people sometimes working in retail like, oh, you should be the one answering the phone and people call and reading him at the unit. <laughs> what are some other things that make someone a good leasing agent? You know, there's um, leasing agents need to, the, the best leasing, leasing agents I've seen are ones that are able to, like a bit of a drive and that are uh, somewhat financially motivated. And the best thing to do with a leasing agent is offer them some sort of a bonus, even if it's not. Uh, like a like a typical realtor will get like a you know half a month's rent or something like that as commission. Well, in a, in a larger property management company, it may be you know just something smaller than that because that leasing agent may lease you know eight or nine units uh you know every couple of weeks. So it can be it can add up to be something significant. So it's got to be someone who sees that the more I hustle and the more I grind and you know help fill this property up or help keep, you know, vacant units full, the more money I'm going to make. You have to have that alignment, right? And that, you know, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever per signed lease that they get as their incentive on top of their base salary needs to mean something to them. They have to be hungry for that, right? Um, I also find that they're typically, you know, charming. They're good closers, right? You can't allow a tenant that, oh, I'll just you know, come back in, in a week or whatever. You got to have a good, a good leasing agent's going to say, "Hey, listen, I've got three other showings this afternoon. Don't you think you want to turn in a rental application? Like, isn't this unit great?" They, they've got, and finally, they've got to think that what you are providing is the best thing since sliced bread, right? Like, they've got to like, hey, we had a pool here in this property, or you know, there's a grocery store down the street. Even it doesn't have to be a property with a pool. Even if they're showing your your four family. It could, they're just, you know, listing amenities, know the area. Did you know they're building a, like a, a new, a new shopping mall down the street? Or did you realize the gas station's adding a, you know, a quickie mart or a, you know, drive through car wash or whatever? They got to know the area and let the tenant, the, the prospective tenant know, hey, this is a good area that I'm moving into. And this is a good unit I'm moving into. They've got to know the amenities as well on site. Uh, you know, just, they've got to be an expert for the property and make everything they're talking about the most exciting thing ever. So uh, I think those are great, uh, you know, attributes for leasing agents and also good at following up, good at closing because not everybody's going to follow up on a, is going to sign a lease right then. So they've got to do follow through and reach outs and everything. And one more thing in the modern world, a, I just described a great leasing agent, but a stellar next level leasing agent is someone who's good on social media uh, and, and can do... Instagram posts for your property that can do Facebook posts for your property that can like take ownership of your Google pin drop mm-hmm. of the social media assets that your property has. Those are the next level stellar leasing agents. So, so speaking of social media, we were doing a weekly call with um, one of our property management teams and I asked her, hey, where did these leases come from? She's like, oh, this one, this one, this one came from, these two came from TikTok. Whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean these leases I came from that. TikTok? Oh, yeah, I do all these. So it turns out multiple times a day, she puts these little TikTok videos out, and the property has this huge following, and and, and some of her videos have got, and she's getting leases off of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, can you please teach our other managers how to do this? 
And some of them are like, okay, great. I'll learn how to do this. I've got one that's like, I don't do TikTok. I'm like, all right, fine. I'm not going to force you to do it. Um, so yeah, social media skills, that, that was something that our whole team and business learned because that manager was doing it again on her own without me even saying anything. And I'm like, wait, 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 you can get Lisa's up. TikTok. Sure can. We have, uh, I, I, I'm often the person that someone in my sphere will call with the real estate question, like whatever it is. Right. So frequently I'll get old friends or people that are actually trying to figure out what apartment they should move into. And they, I'm just real estate guy. So they call me like, I know how to answer <laughs> Oh yeah, that one right there. It's an apartment in my life, right? But I noticed that when they're in that point of, am I going to go with, you know, the whispers, the lakes, or the heights? They'll like create this list of all the amenities they have and then compare the rents. Like there's a a deep analysis that most tenants are going to go into when they're picking where they're moving because ideally they're going to live there for a while. They don't want to pack up and move constantly. Okay, this one's $2,800 a month and it's in this location, but it doesn't have a pool and... It doesn't allow pets. This one does allow pets and it's only 2,500 a month, but blah, blah, blah. Like they've really put a lot of effort into looking at this. And when you're in a position like that, that you're that engaged in where you're going to go, I absolutely believe that a leasing agent that's following up, that's selling them on why they'd be happier in the heights versus the whispers or whatever is absolutely a game changer. Like that is such a big thing when you're trying to make a decision and you don't want to make the wrong one. When you have that reassuring voice that's making you think, most people, as weird as this is, receive that as like, God must be telling me to move to this one because this person called. Like we always give that credit. Yes, it's meant to be. Divine intervention. They followed up just as I was trying to figure this out. Now, you know, after you show them the apartment, they're probably going home that night to talk to their boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, and say, where do you want to move? There's a high probability that's what they're doing when you divinely intervene and call at 830 to just be like, Hey, did you have any questions? I just, I really like to have you here. I thought we got along really good. Oh my gosh, they want us. We're welcome. (laughs) We don't need a pet. We don't even have a dog. Let's go over there. Right? Like just that one little thing can absolutely make a huge difference. To add on to that. And the, the reason for that is most people don't go the extra mile. And so when you do, it is surprising to people, right? It's like, you normally don't get followed up with by like, hey, how was that? You know, like, hey, yeah, well, you had your oil changed here at this at, at my at my Midas, you know, Louvre shop or whatever. How was it? Were you happy? Hey, I don't, I don't get that phone call, right? And so when you do, you're like, hey, they actually care. That's a good place. Oh, you know, I'm going to go there forever, and or I'll lease that apartment because this person actually picked up the phone and called me, right? Matt, you made a really good point earlier that I think highlights the difference between asset management and property management, mm-hmm. and. When you said, talked about aligning your team members' interests with the success of the property. You know, most property management companies, if you ask them, what should we pay this person? They're like, well, market's between 24 and $27 an hour. So I will, we'll set it at 25 And that's kind of the answer you'll typically get. A good asset manager is going to say, okay, great, that's market. But, you know, if my property has a net operating income of $100,000 each year, I'm hitting my targets. If it has, if it hits 120, I'm crushing it. So what if I set it up? So past a certain target, the property manager gets a certain percentage, you know, of every dollar above that. Well, guess what? Now their income goes up with, as yours goes up. And we've done that with a lot of our, a lot of our properties and it's worked wonders because they, the, the property manager know, Hey, if I work at, you know, extra hard on this, it's not going to just make some investors across the country or some dude in California more money. It's also going to make me more money. We have a property manager 
that makes more than the regionals above him because he has knocked it so far out of the park. And I am so glad to pay him literally double market because when when you look at how much he's making us, it's almost irrelevant um, because he's making he's doing so well. So that is a, a good asset manager skill is to make sure even if it's your admin person, find some way to align their success with yours um, so that you're always rowing in the same direction. So when it comes to maintenance supervisors, this is another pretty big piece because poor maintenance will make people not want to live there anymore. Like I think most people in general will stay where they are until something happens that disrupts their peace. So the neighbor next door is too loud. Their first thoughts is probably like, get management to fix it. If it doesn't get fixed, I'm moving. Or something's broken that won't get fixed. Everyone has a tolerance. And then at a certain point, they just get to the point where like, I have to leave to fix this. And the vacancies are very expensive, uh, both because you're a leasing agent. Now you have to pay someone to go and refill it. Plus the period of time, no one's occupying it. It's vacant. And then the turn, right? You got to repaint and redo all this stuff. So maintenance supervisors can actually help to keep your expenses lower. What's two things that each of you guys think that you would highlight as like when it comes to maintenance supervisors, what are the most important things that you can recommend? I mean, I think we're going to operate on the base assumption that whoever you're talking about has basic maintenance skills. Like they know the difference between a Phillips and a flathead, um, which is about as far as I can get. So I don't have any better knowledge than that. Um, number, I, you know, number one is eager to contribute. And what I mean by that is, is they are, it's not just, okay, I got these five work orders. I, as long as I get these done today, I'm fine. Right. Well, maybe they're out working on work order number two and they see that, yeah, you know, the, the next door, next resident over their door just jams. Like it's gotten, you know, absorbed the moisture and it doesn't fit anymore. So they, every time they see them coming out like, you know, yeah. shoving their shoulder to their, oh, hold on a second. They come over, adjust, adjust the hinges, adjust, the, oh, look, I get, and get it fixed for them in like five minutes, right? It doesn't need a work order. Um, and then they, they, you know, there's someone that is eager to help out the manager and just, just wherever, uh, wherever, you know, things come up. I can, one example I can think of is, you know, we have a, a maintenance supervisor that we recently hired and he comes to our calls with a notepad and takes and has a list of things to go over and then takes notes on the things we talk about so that he can go follow up on them and, and get it taken care of. And we never even, we never asked him to do that. I mean, he's just that eager to, to contribute and be a part of it. So that's huge. And then one other one is, I would also say, and is, they're, they're, they're kind of tied together, is that a maintenance person who understands it's a team effort. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, you know, yeah, okay, he's got five work orders to do, but you know, the, you know, he may have a contractor, um, that on, on site that's, you know, renovating unit that he's got to, you know, make sure the supplies are there. Um, and that the manager, property manager, uh, is there to, you know, make sure he's got the supplies order because typically maintenance doesn't order their own supplies. Sometimes that's not the case, but often it's a team effort with, okay, we need this, the manager makes sure. Um, and just, you know, kind of being willing to step in and help out like wherever needed. Uh, and, and, and being on call is candidly probably one of the, you know, worst aspects of being a maintenance person at an apartment complex. Cause you know, you're going to get call at two 30 in the morning on Christmas mm -hmm. that someone shoved a teddy bear down the toilet and now it's flooding the unit. Um, and you know, not that anyone's ever going to enjoy that, but somebody that 
you know, was able to say, all right, you know, this is, this, this is, this is part of servicing this community and, and things like this are going to happen. And, and hopefully as a good asset manager, you'll make that up to them on the back end. Like we've had situations like that and we'll send that maintenance person like a gift card, like go take your wife to dinner. Our property ruined your new year's Eve. Okay. Right. We understand. Sorry about that. And thank you for answering your phone. And right. going and taking care of it's awesome. Yeah. I did to add into there. I it is funny, it just seemed to like be a common theme across the property management team there for the you know, site manager, leasing agent, whatever, is a sense of ownership. And the way a sense of ownership shows up for the maintenance technician is things like, well, we're you know, twenty work orders back this month. Uh, and so that means that these twenty, you know, tenants are waiting on me to do a thing for them are now waiting and that's not okay. And so I need to pick up the pace, I need to knock out these work orders, whatever. And, you know, a bad maintenance section is just shrug their shoulders and say, Well, you know, that's all the when I get to it. Yeah, I get to it when I get to it, right? And we've all seen maintenance techs that have that philosophy. And there's also the hustle maintenance technicians that are like Listen, I, you know, I need to, th that's not acceptable. I, these people need me. Then that's a sense of ownership. And they, they really take, you know, showing up to, you know, to the calls with a notepad. We've had maintenance techs tell us, like, listen, we, we were giving uh, unit turns, meaning like when a uh, unit vacates, the, the on-site maintenance were the guys that were turning the units around. They came to us and said, hey, we need a little bit of help in that world on, on unit turns because we had a lot of vacancies show up. And they asked us for help because because they knew they couldn't maintain their work order flow and it was not going to be okay for work order, the work order balance to get way out of whack because they knew that that was something they, that was like ownership. They knew they were responsible for that. So they said, can we bring in a little bit of short-term help to help us do some painting, to help us do the trash out, whatever? And we said, sure, absolutely, because we knew they cared. That's why they asked for that. And it wasn't because they didn't want to do the work, is because their obligations were going to start falling off the plate. Yeah, and there's one last thing I want to address. So, you know, anyone listening is probably might be saying like, like, that's great, guys, that the three of you have all these wonderful maintenance pairs of people. I'm just trying to get someone to actually show up and do something on time. Um, that's our problem too, right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, we're you know, Matt and, and David and I are at the scale where we 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 have these team members in place, but maintenance is probably the hardest position for us to fill right now. And we have unfortunately hired people that don't fit these characteristics we just talked about, and we've had to let them go. So if you're sitting there going, well, that's great, you know, all these ideal characters, I just want some character traits, I just want someone to show up. Yeah, we're having that problem too. It's not just you. Uh, hopefully, you know, if the Fed does create more unemployment, hopefully one of the side benefits is that it'll get easier to find good people. Um, but that, that's a problem that we're having too. So if you're experiencing that, don't feel bad. It's probably not you. Everybody's kissing frogs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're not, we talk about the ideal person. That doesn't mean that you get them on the first try or even the 10th try. Like yeah. Yeah. it's often a actual skill of figuring out how you can find the right people, which is why you treat them so good yeah. when you have them. Cause you want them to treat your property and they'll probably treat it closely to the way that you treat yeah. a lot of the time. Well, thank you guys. This has been fantastic. And it's on a topic we don't really talk about very often because it's just been to buy as much real estate as you can, borrow other people's money, go in there fast, loose, and reckless, just spray and pray, and you'll hit the target a couple times and you'll make a lot of money. And it, that target's getting a lot tighter and it's getting a lot harder. Kind of work in the future. That's exactly right. So before I get you guys out of here, Matt, where can people find out more about you? They can hear about me on our company website, derosagroup.com, D-E-R-O-S-A group.com, or you can follow me on Instagram at the Matt Fairclough. Matt's also written a book for Bigger Pockets. What was that book called? That was called Raising Private Capital, and that's real something really exciting. And I think that 
uh, investor relations and the way that you uh, raise more money for your deals and the way that you uh, treat investors that you already have into your deals is going to be something that's going to become even more, it's always important, but even more important in the changing economy. So everybody should check out Raising Private Capital at biggerpockets.com forward slash store. All right. And Kush, where can people find out more about you? Just search Vantage Point Acquisitions. Website is vpacq.com. Uh, also, call a colleague, request me on Bigger Pockets so we can connect there. And if you've made it all the way to the end of this podcast and at either, you know, you, you're someone who loves asset management or you're like, I really want to learn that, three out of our last four additions to our team have come from the Bigger Pockets listeners. There are some amazing people who listen to this podcast and we are looking for another one. So if you'd like to come work with us, uh, in on the asset management side of the business, please go to the website. There'll be a tab there and a link there to apply. And uh, I look forward to hopefully working with you. Yeah, and I can uh, co-sign on that. Andrew is my multifamily partner. We buy properties together. And uh, the people that have come to work for us have been fantastic and have actually made a lot of progress with their own portfolios as well. Like it's a really, really good way to learn uh, when you're working for someone that's going to hold you to a high standard, teach you things to do things the right way. Um, model for you the right way to approach it. And those habits that are developed are the stuff we talked about earlier with this, the, the attitude and the personality that you're bringing to the job matter a lot. So please, if you're into multifamily, consider reaching out. All right, guys, I am going to get you out of here. Thank you very much for taking time out of your Ooh. Lake Tahoe retreat yeah. to talk some multifamily with me and our listeners. And hopefully this helps a lot of people. We'll see you next time. See you then. Soon. This is David Green for Matt, the scorekeeper Faircloth and Andrew, the Hamburglar Cushman stealing all my analogies. Signing off. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming small multifamily boot camp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the small multifamily bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.